Hey everyone, I hope you enjoy this special bonus episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Over the last 10 weeks, I was lucky enough to participate in a webinar series titled Becoming a Virtual Instructor that was hosted by myself and the Organic Learner, aka Rich and Bethany Boudry. Over the course of the 10-week webinar series, we had a variety of guests on, providing us with invaluable content and expertise. On this special bonus episode, we brought the panelists back for a question and answer session. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to the, the f- season finale of Becoming a Virtual Teacher, Session 10. This is the Ask Us Anything session. So in this session, even if it's, if it's not live, if you're watching this recorded, feel free to add comments, questions in the comments, or email us as well. We'd be happy to, to address, send along the questions to our panelists to get some information back from them. So feel free to still interact with this recorded session. Uh, but thank you all for joining. Uh, just real fast, just kind of a review, if you're watching this for the first time, just reviewing uh, what this is all about. So back in March, when this whole COVID-19 stuff started happening and our world flipped upside down, uh, Bethany, myself, and Dave kind of were like, hey, how can we help out? How can we uh, contribute to this craziness that's going on? And one of the ways we thought was, hey, let's do this session uh, to help teachers become virtual teachers. And not just teachers, but also corporate facilitators and trainers, because that's where some of us on this panel here tonight live. And so we wanted to, to make sure, you know, we were helping all people in the education space um, become that virtual facilitator that was, you know, so quickly required of us all. So um, anyway, so tonight is the Ask Us Anything session. And so, so the final session, um, let me introduce myself and I, this is my beautiful wife, Bethany and a partner in crime with me for all things organic learners a little side company we run um i work for chick-fil-a i'm in the the digital learning team myself there um bethany i work for salesforce and i'm in the talent development team so i work in employee learning and we both spent the first half of our career in public education for 10 years we both even shared a classroom when we together which was pretty cool um, so Dave, hand it off to you. I'll let you kick it over to our panelists here and let the panels kind of go around. Yeah, absolutely. First, first of all, I feel like right now we need to rebrand this from becoming a virtual teacher to I survived it being yeah. the, the onslaught of virtual teaching or something. I don't know. But I, I'm hoping that a lot of people will go back and they'll listen to this series in July, August, September when the next school year starts to, to come around and we start to dabble in what does the future hold again. So. Um, if back in May, June, July, you were just putting your finger in the dam, just trying to survive being a virtual teacher, and during the 2020-21 school year, you're coming to grips with, wow, i actually going to have to be a virtual teacher, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, but I am Dave Schmidto. I have absolutely no expertise in this space whatsoever, which is kind of why I'm here. Because of my title, people expect me to know things, but I really don't have clue on most of the things people are asking me about. So um, like Rich said, 10 weeks ago, um, we just connected and I've just spent the last 10 weeks asking a lot of questions, trying to dig deep and try to find the answers to the questions that I know a lot of other teachers and educators want to know um, the answers to. 
By day, I have a title Executive Director of Curriculum and Instruction, which means I supervise, help, and support teachers and principals. I am also a professor at Central Michigan University in educational leadership, and the best leadership advice I have is something I'm learning right now, which is, again, walk with humility and admit what you don't know, because if you try to act like you got this stuff down, people will see right through you. So use this as an opportunity just to learn, explore, grow, and, and ask those questions. So that is me, um, and I am ready to wrap this up today and uh, just ask a whole lot of questions that I've been holding on to for a few weeks. Uh, so we are live, I can confirm on Facebook. So if you're joining us on Facebook, we're following the feed as well. So um, we, we, we're, we will answer those questions and help you out, and, but uh, please ask them and we'll share them with the group. So thank you for joining us on Facebook and feel free to share as well. So uh, that would be help us out too, get this out to more people. So let's go around um, and just real quickly kind of introduce yourself. I'm, I'm gonna just go around, if you don't mind, the, the corner the, around my screen, and that would be first on the list. Melody, could you just take a second or two, introduce yourself, what you are, what, what session you did for us, what you talked about, and then we'll go on to Angela, and then Christy, and then Stephanie. Hi, yeah, so my name is Melody McAllister, and I think I was on session nine. It was the parent edition um, on Mother's Day, and so I am coming in from Alaska, I am an educator, I am a parent, I'm the logistics manager for EduMatch Publishing, and I'm an author for my book, The I'm Sorry Story. And um, I just kind of, you know, I've been homeschooling, a home educator when we moved to Alaska for the last year. And so for those of us who are going to continue schooling throughout the summer to help our kids um, not get further behind or have that fear of becoming further behind. Um, and also I'm an advocate for parents. I have a lot of my former students' parents still contact me, still ask me for advice. So I always want to be that parent advocate. Am I an expert? Um, I don't know about that. I think I'm an expert in nodding excessively on Zoom meetings and bathroom humor. Um, that's all I can, you know, really put to credit to my name. But I sure enjoy being here. And thank you guys so much for having me again tonight. Appreciate Our it. Pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you. Angela, you're next. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the session you were, you were on. Thanks, Rich. My name is Angela Reed. I serve as a lead facilitator at Chick-fil-A alongside Rich, and you'll meet Christy shortly. I was a former educator and I like to say current teacher mom. Um, I was in the classroom for about five years for general and special needs. So I did a lot of inclusion, um, a lot of differentiated instruction in two different counties, one of the largest here in Atlanta, the metro Atlanta area, which is Gwinnett County. And I still have close connections to the education world. I serve as a champion advocate for the Georgia Gears program, which is really about that first 2,000 days of a child's life and how intricate it is to stimulate the brain, even just through basics of reading as a parent. And as a parent, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old, so I am right in the thick of early learning and I love it. This has been a true stretch of being full-time working mom and full-time teacher mom. And it's definitely stretched me. And I have been a resource actually for my close network as well as the extended network on, okay, what are you doing? Where, what are you getting these resources? And a lot of that has really thrust me into being somewhat of an expert to my own social circle. So I'm here thankful for the opportunity. I think I did one of the very first sessions, Rich, when it came to just understanding what was virtual and just engagement around those different areas and different strategies that you can incorporate. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. Thank you. Christy, you're up. 
sorry, I didn't realize I was next. My name is Christy Evans. I live in Sharpsburg, Georgia. I'm a facilitator at the Chick-fil-A Support Center in Atlanta, Georgia. I have two children. Uh, my kids are grown uh, and all three of, actually, I've got a son-in-law too, so I feel like I have three children, uh, but they're all in school. Um, my oldest daughter and her husband uh, work during the day and they go to school. They're working on their master's at Georgia Tech. And then my um, youngest daughter is in med school in Dallas, Texas. So they're all in virtual learning. So it's been a really great opportunity for me to hear from them and their experience. So it's been very, very um, worthwhile to have them all doing online learning while I'm trying to really uh, gear up and do the very best I can to meet the needs of all the participants for our sessions. But I think I, I worked with two sessions um, during the last couple of you weeks, did. best I can yep. recall. Yep. Yep. And thank you for the opportunity to meet all these great people, Rich. My pleasure, thank you. And Stephanie, you're next. All right, well, hello everyone. It's so great to see all of you. And, uh, and yes, I'm Stephanie and I am director of IT at Kennesaw State University, which is a service unit inside the Bagwell College of Education. Um, Angela, I think that we've run in the same paths before um, and, and certainly at least our Twitter, Twitter friends. Um, and <laughs> and um, yeah, a lot of what you said resonated with me. You know, I taught middle school for about a decade, did district leadership for a while. Now I lead this team of amazing coaches and we're just trying to support teachers um, at this point by air, by land, by sea. And, and I loved what David said earlier, just that, that humility. You just leave it there. Just leave it there. Just keep yeah. saying you can say it all night long. And Go you're ahead. great and you're great and you're great. Um, <laughs> and so I just love the humility, the posture of service. Wow. Um, and the irony. He, yeah. <laughs> that he really talked about because I think right now, um, certainly my team, as well as myself, just as a, a human being, I'm just trying to, to be in service to so many. And I know a lot of us are, which is why this was such a great series to be a part of, to just try to spread, you know, more help, more ideas, and just kind of cross-pollinate that as we've gone along. Um, so I've got two little ones at home. I've got a rising sixth grader now that the year has, has finished, um, which is so terrifying as a middle school teacher to know eyes wide open what's about to befall us in our home. Um, but she's a really good kid. And then I've got a little guy who's seven and, uh, and he's still wild. He's a little bit Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer still. So it's been fun and interesting. And, and I feel like at the same time we've all moved through this, we've really learned a lot about how to engage kids differently, even our own kids at home to try to get them motivated to learn in different settings. And so the session that I participated in was really about engaging students in different ways. I, I joined with um, Kate Arthur, who is a teacher hero of mine. She's an amazing educator and, and just um, really, she shared some examples of things she's doing to try to keep kids engaged. And, and I think that's going to be even a bigger learning curve as we move into the fall um, not knew, knowing truly what might happen, but knowing that virtual is going to be at least in some part, a part of the ecosystem where these teachers have not had all these months and months of pre-rapport to build and pre-relationship to build before we transition to this online environment. And so I think that I've got, I'm casting a wary eye on the horizon as it pertains to that and really encouraging as many district leaders as I can to get those rosters out early so that teachers can can make deposits into that relational bank over the summer before we we join school next year not knowing what really that looks like awesome thank you so much stephanie and vincent i'm going to have you give it just a quick who you are since you are our, our active panelist or active yes. uh, attendee tonight 
Vincent, if you wouldn't mind just kind of introducing yourself. Okay, I'm Vincent Hunter, uh, formerly a part-time instructor at Georgia State. I'm trying to, to learn as much as I can about online education, teaching technology, so I can get back into that area. Perfect. Well, you are in the right place tonight. Let me tell you that, Vincent. So, you know, Dave, if you don't mind, I would, let's, we have a lot of questions. Yeah. Do you mind if we go back and kind of start at the beginning and those first couple sessions? Mm -hmm. And we, we talked about the, just the basic skill sets of becoming a virtual facilitator and then how, how to, to, how to really do that well. And then how to, you know, how to use the tools that were given to us. So for some of us, it was Zoom, some of us, it was Google Hangouts, you know, uh, WebEx, you know. Uh, so if you don't mind, can we, do you mind if we start the conversation there tonight? Let's do it. Okay. So, so my first generalized question, just to get the, the conversation going is, um, you know, Angela and Christy, you led that for those first couple sessions and then I'll answer it to open up to everybody if you guys have had a chance to, to, to answer it. What have you learned since then? That was a couple months ago since we did those first sessions. What's the biggest thing that you have both learned from, from in the past two months when it comes to virtual facilitation, engaging your learners, um, and, and making that step into that virtual space? Give me your thoughts. So I'll jump in um, if you don't mind, but it, this has been a real area of learning for me. Um, because as I said, we're supporting educators, um, but we're also doing a lot of support of leaders and others. And I think for me, being an educator in the core of who I am as a facilitator, I seek solutions for people often before they voice them, right? That's our job sometimes as a facilitator of learning, whether it's face-to-face -face or online, is to kind of read your audience and see where those road bumps are and then head them off at the pass. Um, what I have learned that has challenged me as a professional is that it's not helpful to others for me to solve their problems for them right now. Mm -hmm. um, I've watched a lot of folks struggle with technology or struggle with a delivery method. And, and I had to pull back everything I knew about crashing and about the theory of comprehensible input. And I had to pull back all of the things I knew about acquisition. My background is, is as a language um, teacher and so I had to pull all that back and realize that the struggle is part of the learning process and I think I got myself so accustomed to trying to solve problems for folks that in my facilitation in my coaching of teachers I was jumping ahead of them to solve a problem I knew was coming before they even knew that they had one that's 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 tough that's that's easy to do. you want to take as us as educators we want to 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 to, to control that for them Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to let that control go. Dave, were you going to say something? Well, and I was just going to say, I'm thinking about this through the lens of a parent right now, too. And through the, through the eyes of my kids, when they're in school all day, every day, and they've got questions that they or struggles, they're able to raise their hand and a teacher can come running over and offer support right away. And in this environment, with so much being done asynchronously, where my kids are doing stuff at six or seven o'clock at night or on the weekends, they don't have that ability to raise their hand and, and have somebody jump in and help support them. So although the teacher is not right there holding their hand through this, there's a part of me that says they might actually have benefited a little bit from this on having to, to walk that productive struggle and figure some things out on their own and not have that sage on the stage that can just jump in 
and fix everything for them. You know, it, I definitely see what you're saying about on the adult end, Stephanie. I'm seeing it through the lens of a 14-year-old and a seven-year-old as well. So, And though I know kids have struggled, I don't want to minimize that there has been struggle, you know, for, for our K-12 learners and there are equity gaps that have perpetuated some of that struggle. I think for my humans that I'm in charge of keeping alive here in this house, um, I saw two polar opposites. I saw my daughter who never really, she's a teacher's pet, she's a teacher's kid, and she's a people person and is really emotionally intelligent. And so she knows enough to know how to use the teacher to assist her through her learning in the classroom so that what she was generating wasn't always really all she knew, right? This called her to, to the trough on it. And so she actually excelled in that way. And she, she had a type of grit and determination in her learning that she hasn't had to put out um, to date. And so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Then you've got a, a kid like my son who's you know, just happy to be alive and just there for the party. And so um, you know, for him, he missed that social interaction piece and really liked the discourse of learning. And so mommy did not have time to have discourse for learning while I'm trying to work and keep everyone else afloat. And so for him, I, I think that it wasn't as much a benefit for him. I think he probably had some, some gaps because he couldn't have that. But truly, that's the range in the spectrum. And I think it's just, it's cool because it's something that gut punched me. Sorry, sorry. Uh, but I was pushing buttons I shouldn't have been pushing. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Do not push the buttons. I know. We I can confirm we are streaming on Facebook, by the way. <laughs> Perfect. Anyway, well, so from a now from an adult learning perspective, Angela and Christy, you were you guys were thrust into this virtual facilitation space. And um, you know, what what did you guys learn from where you guys were sitting? I mean, you're you're working with I don't want to say I'm gonna say crusty adults. You know, we're setting our ways, you know, we're where, you know, I only learn best in the classroom. And Chick-fil-A, I know, is very in-person. And you guys have been facilitating in-person for the longest time, just like a traditional teacher would in a, in a, in a public K-12 classroom or higher classroom. So what did you guys learn through all this, and personally and about your, your, your learners? So uh, Angela, Christy, whoever wants to take that first. Yeah, I can jump in. I would say... I've learned about the commitment to investing in what you want to know, what you have to know, and the things that are okay to know. And I'll break that down a few ways. Um, for me, I'm naturally techie at core. So I, I love learning about the platforms, love digging through them in my own time. But when you are on a diverse team that has very different backgrounds, like some could care less about tech. <laughs> They've never had to do it. You know, tech or index cards. Others, you know, are like, okay, I'm kind of, I've, I've got my phone, I've got my iPad, my notes are good. But when we are all thrust into having to not only learn the platform, learn how to use it, um, work with designers to design that content that's just not handed to you, because we've learned a lot about not taking in-person led training content and just facilitating it through a virtual platform. That's really not how we wanted to go about the process through our learnings. But then also having to understand your audiences. And at Chick-fil-A, we are facilitating to operators. So those that, you know, we call them operators that actually are franchisee owners along with Chick-fil-A, um, their leaders, as well as a group that we have that are in a development program. 
And a lot of those audiences, again, even within those areas, they have learning, different learning styles. Some, they're like, I only want to pull things up on my phone. Others are like, I had the iPad, I had the laptop, what do you need me to do? The, the investment in the facilitator, really taking the time to not only between the hours of nine to five, but five to nine and upskilling yourself. Right now, in the past few weeks, all the updates, you think about going to the early articles of Zoom security threats and everything, everyone panicked and ran, but really understanding how the platform works, knowing how it works for you. Because Christy and I, we work on the same team, we lead a lot of the same meetings, a lot of the same presentations for different, the same audiences, but Christy loves to do things a certain way in a platform, and I like to do things a certain way in a platform. So you've got to understand it holistically behind the platform, in front of the platform, from the learner's perspective, and then how do you as a facilitator bring your own unique nuances, your own unique personality to ensure that that learning is happening when you're in the four walls of your own house. So those are some key learnings that I've, I've learned recently. Awesome. Thank you. Christy? I would say... Um... I spend as much time preparing for either physical classroom as I do for virtual classroom. Um, because I have an IT background, I like the technology piece and I feel very, very comfortable because I've worked in support of our operators and our team members. I've done um, online support um, for a number of years as well. So I feel really comfortable helping people when they're having technical difficulties. And I think, um, that makes me feel very at home in the virtual uh, platform. Um, and it's really exciting to me because there's nothing more exciting when you have a teacher's heart than to have someone who's participating in your session and maybe they're frustrated or they uh, can't get their audio to work or they don't know how to navigate um, their Zoom screen or they, don't, they can't remember how to communicate, how to find that participant panel. That just gets me excited because I love leading them through how to use their tools um, and that's been really fun for me because it's really bringing a lot of my instructional design into play, my love for passion for teaching and my passion for technology as well. Um, I really think of trying to remain calm and getting excited uh, to solve problems um, and, you know, helping your learner feel comfortable with that because I really think virtual classroom is here to stay. At least I certainly hope it is. I think the last couple of months have kind of solidified its place in the learner's world. Um, and I would like to say that I really feel like that oftentimes I can engage my virtual classroom, honestly, sometimes more than in a physical classroom because I have that capability to see all of the faces, they all have an opportunity to contribute. And I think sometimes that's missing in a physical classroom. Uh, just think about when you ask folks to even raise a hand in a participant panel or to chat, they're all able to do that. They may not all choose to, but I'm getting more feedback from my participants than honestly I ever have before through the different channels. And it's exciting to see how different learners um, like the different 
pieces of functionality that the virtual world allows us to use. And I think um, in closing, I would like to say the biggest thing I've learned is, is when you have a teacher's heart, you find ways to make things work. I mean, you'll, you'll dive in, you will analyze how that session went, you'll figure out what you're gonna do differently next time, and you will grab hold of any feedback you can get from those participants because your goal is to connect with your participant and make sure that that learning happens. Oh, you, that's, you nailed it. I have that teacher's heart. <laughs> Dave, that, that's, that's hitting you right there, right? It, it is. It's in the feels. I mean, there's so much I want to yeah. unpack from, I know. <laughs> from that. I feel like I'm connecting dots. And I'm, I'm going to pull Melody into this conversation a little bit, too, because, Melody, when you were on um, a couple of weeks ago, you made a statement. And when you moved to Alaska, it was almost like you went back in time 10 years mm. and that there was this tranquility and this peace about going back to, to this safe place. And I, I'm going to use that because I know there are a lot of people right now who are thinking, I can't wait to go back to normal in August or September where it can be safe. And I can just go back to the way it used to be. But I'm hearing Christy say right now, there are some things that we're never going to go back to that we probably never should go back to. You know, and Angela, you, you mentioned you've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And for them, this is normal now. If we go back to anything else, it's going to shake their world up. And we got first year teachers out there right now who this is their normal and they don't ever want to go back. So I guess just a question for everybody and Christy kind of hit on some of this, but what are some of those things now that need to become part of that new normal that we've stumbled upon just in the last couple of weeks? Um, is it okay if I answer or? Sure. Okay. Well, um, I, I was going to say, you know, I have a great, place in, um, that I get to hear and learn from so many educators all across our world. And I'm in different groups with teachers. And while some of this is like what um, Christy was saying about the teacher's heart and, and finding ways, which I totally agree with, but another aspect to look at this, going back to your question, Dave, is that even with your teacher's heart, the social emotional aspect is falling apart in so many places in our country. Like all of us sitting right here, we are very privileged, but I am hearing from my Alaskan teachers who are just like, they can't get a hold of their students. Um, I'm hearing from rural teachers, you know, internet access, Wi-Fi is, is just, it's, it's not happening. It's not happening like it is in different places. And um, we are so privileged to have that. So even though um, we, us teachers, we take that burden on and we find ways when there are no ways. And there are teachers that are completely exhausted. There are parents who are completely exhausted. Um, the virtual world hasn't worked out great for them. They've had to do their full-time jobs and then try to meet all the expectations that the teachers have for their students. Um, even those of us who teach um, others and then teach students, I mean, it's, it's been such a hard um, time to juggle. And not all of us feel like this is great. I think that through this, we're going to find that there are, like some of you said, there are students who are going to thrive in a virtual classroom. My oldest child would definitely thrive. Then my son, he is too social. And he's, um, he needs to see people all the time. So it's affected them differently. Um, and it affects what our plans are. It has affected my plans about what I thought. I, I thought I was for surely going to go back into the classroom next year, but I can't with the responsibility of having five small children put myself in a situation where one of us could get sick and then it would just completely um, keep our family from thriving. And so one thing I have learned through this whole thing is that our health is the most 
valuable thing that we have. It is the most important thing to protect and we can never lose sight of that. As teachers, as educators, we can never lose sight of that as we give instruction. Um, what are we doing to support our parents? And we can educate ourselves and, and help our educators have the best technology, but are we educating our parents? Our parents are feeling lost. They don't know how to keep up with Google Classroom. They don't know how to keep up with all the notifications um, from if they have multiple children. And just the social emotional aspect across the board, we have learned that it is so much more important than we ever gave it credit for. And if we're not taking care of ourselves as educators, as humans, we cannot even understand the importance that it has for our children. And every single piece of instruction has to be through that lens of social emotional for our students to even retain anything. Um, whether we're teaching at home and with our own children or whether we're teaching our um, students um, remotely, like there has to be something that gets their feelings involved so um, that they actually want to connect with us. I've heard so many stories of, you know, people just not meeting with their teachers anymore because they've lost interest. So when we go back into this for next year, what is it that is going to keep our relationship strong? And like Stephanie said earlier, yes, please give us our roster so that we can start putting depositing into those relationship banks. A lot of teachers are wondering if they have to start the school year remotely, um, how are they going to do that and develop relationships at the same time? So these are all wonderful questions that we really need to focus on this summer. Also though, giving everybody a break. Parents need a break, students need a break, teachers need a break. Everybody needs just to breathe a, cup, you know, a sigh of relief and then find out what works best for them. And um, I think that relationships and social emotional, uh, the, the, all those aspects are the most important lens to look through as we go into the future. So important, Melody. Something that you said was, I'm a huge advocate for personalized learning. I've lived in that space for a really long time, um, have worked really hard here in Georgia to create um, a system where that can thrive. And the biggest piece of it is to not make assumptions about what somebody needs and then have a savior mentality about doing that for them, but rather to have them as co-representative of all of the process that happens for learning. And so um, that happens with facilitation and coaching professionally, and that should happen for kids. And the, the number one thing that we focused on with all of the teachers and the administrators that we supported through this last few months was getting into meaningful one-on-one -on -one interactions with whoever your target audience is, whether that's students K-12 or whether that's educators, professionals, et cetera. What we know based on research is that that's where the magical learning moments happen anyway. It's not in a whole group. It's not in a direct instruction. It's not in, you know, a, a 60 slide deck of content that you're delivering or a 90 minute synchronous session because your principal tells you that you have to make up all your instructional time, right? Like those are falsehoods that I think we can shed off like a snake skin that my children continue to bring me and I'm freaking out. One more snake skin and I'm moving back to Ohio. So I, <laughs> I, I think that we've got to leave some of those things behind. Those are the learnings that I hope in, you know, are enduring for all of us because we've done a really crummy job a lot of the time of not, we've not ever been out to do a poor job. We've always put our best effort forth as educators, whether that's, you know, cradle to grave, the whole gamut. Everyone here represents education in some way. But I think what we haven't done is give the authority for those who are participants in that experience to be validated and to have a, a say. Um, and so I really hope that that moves forward because I agree with you. Like my little guy had a, a Hulk smash moment the other day 
two fists in the air, slamming down on the couch, crying, I hate Corona, it's ruined my life, I can't see my friends. And in that moment, as a mom, I, I was broken, but as an educator, thinking about all of the students, you know, when he finally got to go drive by his teacher's house, uh, when Georgia reopened and he got to go get his award and, and get a hug, he was so elated. I've never seen a child so genuinely joyful, you know, not happy. Happy wasn't even it. He was at a level 10. And, and I just, I want so much for us to understand the value add of those face-to-face -face moments. Listen, we're going to get some. I think we're going to get some, but we're not going to get what we're used to. So how do we take those face-to-face -face moments coming forward and capitalize on them and value add and put as much of that relational piece into it as we can? I, I will be so distraught if I see teachers using those precious face-to-face -face moments in that hybrid model that I think we're walking down the path to, to just deliver content. My goodness, please don't do that. You know, please don't do that. Don't, don't, yeah, that's something you can do. You can record it. That's so, right. Use those moments to build the relationships and guide kids into proper right. socialization and emotional maturity. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so relational relationships and social uh, well-being. I'm hearing a lot of that come out tonight. I know, you know, at, for at Chick-fil-A, I know Angela Christie and I, you know, we, we have all been, had to be more intentional about connecting with our teammates even and colleagues and just checking in on one another. I know we feel a sense of, um, you know, disconnectedness a bit. Um, so I, I can imagine just even, you know, we talk, students are important, but also connecting with colleagues. And that's, there's, it's, there's something so valuable in the past that, we're, that we've lost through all this is being able to walk next door to the teacher next to you and ask questions and kind of say, hey, or just even talk, not even ask a question, just, just, just be with an adult for a moment, right? And um, we've kind of lost that. So I think, you know, going into next year, making sure we're more intentional, you know, just connecting with our team teachers, you know, yeah. we kind of lost that a little bit. Something that we've done um, as a team, you know, this team of 35 that I also lead, and they're a Motley crew, um, is that uh, we've also just created a collaborative Spotify playlist that people add songs to over the week. And we have Friday Lives where we just dance party. And like at 4.30, we're cracking drinks and people are chilling and we're listening to our playlist. Things like that, that would have been workplace, quote, not net, you know, not appropriate in the past. I think the wall has come down and that's so healthy for people, right? Like we're all human. And I think the put on that some folks have had historically in a professional environment, that will start to erode a little bit too, I think, because we just don't have the energy to keep up two personas. Like you are who you are, validate that and bring it to the table and be awesome at that person. Don't worry about being two people. And if I could guide other leaders in that way, I would say give a long, long leash to your team right now and let them be human and let them drink and sing songs with each other. <laughs> Dave, what are your thoughts around all that? We oh, yeah. Well, first of all, yes. Preach, preach, preach. I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. And I'm going to see where you guys come back from this. Um, and this, is, this could be, I don't know. I don't know where this is going to go. So just bear with me. But let's say we roll into August or September and we are in a place where it's rinse and repeat. We are doing the same thing that we started off doing in March or April or May. 
that every state across the country is back to 100% remote learning. And the expectations in August and September from all of our stakeholders are gonna be a lot higher now because supposedly we've practiced this already. The learning curve is gone. So all that grace we keep talking about will be out the window. And then there'll be people like me that come in in suits and they have that expectation that we're not just gonna hold down the fort, but we're gonna keep going. We're gonna forge ahead. We have to, to fight the good fight. And we're gonna have teachers, educators, everybody is gonna start pushing back at some point saying, no, we, we can't do that. I'm thinking even, even in the corporate space, you know, in, in Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A, you guys have great chicken, but you are an amazing restaurant because you're in the people pleasing business. You're there because you get to know your customers' names. You deliver things to their cars and to their tables for them. It's the people place. This kind of thing can't go on forever and we can't just continue to, to move forward like this. I mean, can we? I, I mean, I honestly, I, I don't know. At some point, we have to take this and continue to, to move the ball, right? So something, I got I to gotta kick this over to my Chick-fil-A crew over here, because when I was back in the Fulton County District Office, we went to the, is it called the Hatch? Hatch? Is that the innovation space? I think I got the name right. Yeah. Okay. So we went there as a team, a learning and teaching team, and we had the opportunity to kind of see the innovation process of Chick-fil-A from sort of ideation of a product to testing, to marketing, to the whole thing. There, there's no better rhythm for what's happening right now than to use that design thinking analogy and that, that innovation analogy. And so I think Chick-fil-A's got a great model that should be propagated and kind of spread because it is that idea of hatching something out of maybe a problem that you've you know, discovered with your clients or with your, your offerings. We've got a problem that we're trying to solve for right now. The problem is, is that that problem is moving. And so how do we iterate on the fly? How do we redesign on the fly? And, and I think Chick-fil-A's got a great model for that. Stephanie, I'm so glad you brought up our innovation process. I'm an innovation coach as well as a facilitator at Chick-fil-A. And my friends that know about that side of what I do have tapped into that. They're saying, okay, you talk about all these solutions to problems. And I like to say, stop right there. What's the opportunity? We really like to use the word opportunity at Chick-fil-A versus the problem. And when you talk about normal day, for me, I've written out normal is no more. For me, normal is no more. We have to move forward. This has given us such a time of shakeup where educators, parents, leaders, you know, figureheads, authorities can take a moment to say, okay, what hasn't worked? And how do we find a new opportunity now to take a moment, press reset, and try things? I really think that's an issue in the education system. I always have with trying things, giving teachers resources to try things, giving them opportunity and, like you said, leash room to try things with the students that they know. They know them best, not you authorities that have not stepped in my room, or maybe once or twice, not those at B that are even higher up than that. But when you talk about relationship, you talk about those that teachers know best, and I always felt that there was such an opportunity to blend the innovation process with education and give that opportunity to now say, okay, when you think about normal, that's the standard, usual, typical, expected. That's no more. How can we take things that we've done, mix them with new and innovative things that our children are already knowing how to do? My children already know what a Zoom call is. They know what Blue Jeans is. They know what Teams is, and they know exactly how to go in 
and say, oh, mommy, today's virtual background for my teacher. I want to show her a pterodactyl. And don't you know they'll call each other out when someone's not <laughs> muted, too. I have yeah. seen some seven-year-olds dog out their friends on the non-mute. I love it. Or if they have an old virtual background. So all that to say is, I like to think of this time as normal is no more. What's going to be the new opportunity? So I love engaging in those conversations of just walking through that innovation process. And when you think about it, Stephanie, I love that you alluded to how we can transport that information and that thinking into education, something that I feel has been so archaic. It's been so hard to break the wall through traditional education. We've had a pandemic come do that for us now. Unfortunately, it took a pandemic, right. but people have been saying this for years. And I feel that those need to speak up, be the megaphones and be the advocates. Because for me, I like to say now, I have a bigger mouth about things and new opportunities for education because they're not signing my paycheck. Right. <laughs> I'm not being paid by a county anymore. So I can say what didn't work what I did learn and where I see a need even now as a mom with a child in the public education system. So I'm going to take us back here to 1985, back to the future, Marty McFly. So let's get back to the future one. It was great. 1955. We got it to clock tower back to the future two is where my, it's my, my favorite of the trilogy and back to the future two is where he gets the hoverboards and he gets the fly around in the future and all that. I kind of feel like right now I'm Marty McFly. I've had the opportunity to fly into what the future could be. But now I've got a hold of the sports almanac and I can change what that future looks like. You know, for so long, people were saying the robots are going to take over the world. Teachers are, are gone. Everybody can just learn online. And, we, and we've seen what that possibility looks like. But now we also hold the sports almanac and we can go place the bets where they, where they count the most. You know, we can go and we can alter that future. We can change it a little bit in this upcoming year. We see what's coming, but now we are in control of that destiny a little bit. You know, and I'm looking at you as I say this, Christy, because I remember when you came on um, week two or week three of this thing, I was blown away. And then Rich tells me, oh, yeah, she was kind of just thrown into this. She hasn't been doing this for very long. And I was like, are you crazy? This woman like has all the answers. She, <laughs> she is a master of all of this. But it's almost like this was an opportunity for you, too. You were thrown into this new future that you would have never explored had this not happened. And I'm not saying we needed this pandemic. I'm not saying I'm glad it came not in any stretch of the imagination. But again, it's like you said, Angela, it's, it's an opportunity now. We, Our we had an crisis. opportunity to look to the future and change course. So um, Christy, I'm wondering specifically for you, what do you hope your future holds right now? Do you hope this becomes your new normal? Um, I really enjoy virtual learning. Um, I, I personally really, really like it. Uh, I really appreciate all of Melody's comments um, because my teachers, a, my sister's a teacher in Louisiana and um, they are really struggling. They can't even get their parents to return their calls. And I think um, one of the shifts that we will see um, between now and the coming months is that it's going to be very sad for many children because right now, it honestly, learning is really key to the parent how involved that parent is and for some children it's going to be very very sad because their parents may not um, be able to step up to the plate and really serve in that in that role in that child's life um, so i i think that one of the huge shifts that we'll see in the coming months is a, a lot's going to be placed on the parents shoulders and um even if we return to the classroom because i think it'll 
potentially be a back and forth um, between maybe in school, out of school potentially. But I really think that um, technology and virtual learning is here to stay. And I think that the sooner parents realize that and start getting their children acclimated to that world and doing all they can to get beside of their children um, to help them um, try to excel. And in, in the social thing, you know, my, my children are grown. So thank, I'm so thankful that we have so many different perspectives on this board. Um, but parents are going to have to find a way if we are in our homes to make the social happen through that virtual interaction potentially with other children. And we have so many amazing tools that are out there and it's sad that some children will not have access to those. But for the parents who do, they're gonna have to really take a role in, in making the socialization happen you know, for their children. And it's, it's a huge parental responsibility now that I feel like has never been on the parent before when it comes to education. That's so true, Christine. You know, I was having this conversation with my neighbors. You know, we live on a little cul-de-sac in a neighborhood north of Atlanta that's pretty insular. So we let them cross play on the street a little longer after school closed because they weren't leaving and they needed that interaction. And then when things got really bad, even that was cut out. And, and so we had this conversation that, you know, I think a lot of this will push folks back to the family unit in a way to be more reliant. I think we're going to see an increase in multi-generational households, you know, um, my kids, I transported them down to Florida last weekend to their Momo and G-Paw's house. Um, and, and they're down there seeing cousins. And, and I think that that nuclear unit for the kids who are blessed and privileged enough to have that will become the new socialization ground um, in a lot of ways, which isn't really new, but in this country, that, that's just culturally not as relevant. And, and that's what I'm starting to see. And also that, that insular neighborhood feel come back, where we're not necessarily worried about seeing our friends at school as much as we are back on our bikes and on the street. So, you know, I think there are ways to get around it. But to your point, there is such a gap in equity. There's such a gap in skill and ability and unfortunately, I think what's going to happen is that we're going to see a progression of, of class separation of equity problems emerge from this just based on, you know, for example, if a, if a family has, you know, two parents working that are frontline workers and out of the house, I don't care how much you want to do for your kids if you're not able to do it for your kids. You know, I am so blessed to be able to work from home and to be helping out, but my husband is a, is a city of Atlanta police officer. If it were just him, there's no way. We've barely seen him in the last three months. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just such an interesting challenge, but I do think that family will start to layer back in and Certainly, I've tried to entice my mom to come and move into our basement just to be able to help out. Um, and, and for my kids to have somebody with maybe a, a deeper patience tank than what I've had with them for the last few weeks. Awesome. So we got about 10 minutes left. I just wanted to take and do a quick time check to um, 
just ask the folks that are watching on Facebook right now. There's, a, there's quite a few people on Facebook watching. If you have a question for the panelists, again, you know, relationally becoming a virtual classroom teacher, what's that look like to your students? Um, the technology piece, how to actually adapt to, to work as a virtual facilitator. You know, what are the skills needed there? Um, so all the, and everything in between, please ask your question now. Vincent, you're on with us. Do you have any questions? I mean, you can take a minute to think through, but if you have any questions, this would be a good opportunity right here to jump in and ask your question um, for the panel and um, see if they have any thoughts for you. Um, and, and so I, somebody sent me a message through Facebook Messenger, apparently, that was watching it. Can I, can I chime in with that while you're pondering your question, Vincent? Go is that all right? So this is really for, for anybody, and I, I think it's, it's a good question that I'm going to schmittowize a little bit and expand on it. So back when, when I, I was growing up, um, there was must-see TV every Thursday night. We would know when we were going to sit down and watch TV, and we could plan our schedules around Thursday nights, for example. Nowadays, though, our generation, it's a Netflix society. It's a YouTube society. They can just sit down whenever they want and watch whatever they want when they want. The students in our classrooms are more of that Netflix, YouTube, I can learn it when I want, where I want, how I want mindset than they are. I need to sit down and learn from eight to three. Okay. So the question that was sent to me was regarding us in this asynchronous environment. We've done a lot of conversations about how important it is to have the face-to-face -face conversations. But the question that was sent to me, um, in essence, asks, how do we manage our time outside of the traditional school day going forward? How do we continue to respond to the organic learners that we have? You like that, Rich? The, how do we respond to that, that nature of our learners who really want to continue to learn when they want, how they want, where they want, although many of us are still craving to get back to some sort of normalcy? And how do we how do, we do that for them? Um, I would love to answer that question. Um, because that's like what my whole life has been for this last year is finding some sort of balance and routine. And um, like when I was here with you guys a couple of weeks ago, um, the thing that we need to encourage with families um, is that you have to find something that works for you. And you have to remember that it's not going to look like what other families are doing. And um, it's okay. You have to find a piece about that. You have to find what works. You have to throw out what is toxic or what is making everybody even more crazy in this situation and find something that is going to um, bring you together and help you to deal with this new situation. And, you know, I just want to say that I have loved listening to every single one of you. It is just like, it's creating so much. Um, we have to address the equity. I loved when Dave got to the devil's advocate because he's so great about doing that because he could be a suit and he can be unsuited and he knows both roles. And I think as we go into whatever is going to be for the future, um, I want to tell the suits. So I'm going to play devil's advocate and I want you to take this back to the suits, Dave. Okay. And I want to know how are they going to equip parents all across our country with um, the best internet that we can have so that every single child can tune in and learn and wh whatever their teachers do, how are they going to equip teachers who can't even afford um, the best Wi-Fi but are using every bit that they have and extra money um, that they have to bring it to their students? And so uh, we have to work together. And the standards that were once upon us that were driving us to those end of the year state tests, like those standards have to change right along with everything else. Because if we're expected to do the same old, same old, that's just as archaic as as, um, 
I think it was Angela was saying, we can't, let's, let's get all that archaic crap that doesn't work anymore and let's focus on being innovative, but we also have to say to the system, how much money are you gonna pour into this to make it realistic? And um, so I hope that you'll take that back to the suits while we all down here do what we can to support our own children. Yeah, preach. Yeah. I'll and try I my best. And I'll just say this. It's not suits. Don't listen to it and say, well, we lost our tax money. We don't have the money for this. We get that. We understand. But I can also tell you, you can reallocate resources. You can divert. You can shift. You can move. You ask us to do it every single year. You know, if, if we're, I, I don't want to start talking politics and all that stuff now, but I'm going to a little bit because whatever, you guys can get over it all summer. Um, we, we transport every single kid to and from school on a school bus. We can provide Wi-Fi for every single kid in a neighborhood. I guarantee we can. If we can pave sidewalks in, neighbor, in neighborhoods for kids to walk down so that every single kid can walk to school safely, we can provide Wi-Fi to every single kid so they can continue to learn safely. So just pick and choose your battles. Pick and choose. Are you going to fill the potholes in the freeway so we can go on our vacations? Or are you going to fix the potholes in the Wi-Fi connection so that we can all continue to learn? Just saying. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. You know, I, I know a lot of districts that we work with are, are trying to solve that, you know, for their families and, and something that's been kind of put out there. And we've certainly um, used our maker bus that we use for visits to schools. Our mobile maker unit and innovation space is outfit with Kajit Wi-Fi. And we've offered to, to you know, send that out and park it. The problem is not just the access to the Wi-Fi, but that the that Wi-Fi access is dependent on a cell signal. And for those of us, I'm sure in Alaska, this is true, but for many parts of the country, there's not even a great cell signal. I can't go down to some parts of central and south Georgia and even get a cell signal. And so no, no provision of equipment or hardware or parking of a bus is going to do anything for anybody. Um, and so it's so many layers, right? Like there's so many layers of what needs to happen. I think something to go back to your original question, Dave, you know, we've got to band people together and stop thinking of a one teacher, 30 kids ratio of how we get through this. Um, you know, for my team, they were working 12 and 14 hour days the first couple of weeks of this. And we had to think really clearly about how we were going to reappropriate people's time because I was going to lose them. They were just going to leave. And I think we're going to have a, an attrition problem. If we're not already seeing it as leaders, we're going to see an education attrition problem. Certainly in higher ed, that's happening with people who have been long time, you know, lecturers or professors face to face, and they're close enough to pull their TRS and they're like, that, ah, forget it, I'm done. <laughs> you know? um, and so I think when you don't feel alone in it, when you can partner with a teacher in a, in a true partnership co-teaching environment. I'm sure Christy and Angela, you guys have felt some of this if you've worked together. I certainly feel it with my team. The weight is lifted a little bit. And so I don't really even care if I have 60 kids, quote unquote. If I've got another teacher in there, it doesn't feel as bad, right? We can split our shifts so that kids can connect with us on a time that works for them. We can shoulder the burden of co-grading, co-providing assessments, co-checking in with parents. And so I think that is a super easy tactical move that every facilitator, every organization, every educator could do today to prep for tomorrow that would be really healthy for everyone and start to, again, that creep is no longer job creep. It's like there's no such thing as work-life balance anymore. And so you get yourself on a 14, 16-hour sprint and then you get up and you're like, wait, I haven't gone to the bathroom. That's like when I was teaching back in the school again. Why haven't I gone to the bathroom, right? So, you know, you've got to... Happy Memorial Day. You've got to think through some of those things. And, um, and I think that's a great way to solve it. So Stephanie, um, 
our conversation here, we just touched on a great question that actually came in through Facebook Live. So thank you, Beth Moore, for submitting your questions regarding equity and really how we can get the technology in the hands of all the kids. Um, Stephanie, Angela, um, Melody, and Dave, you all touched on that. So thank you for touching on that. And um, Stephanie, what you said with the, the 14, 16 hour days, it's so funny because I've been telling um, Rich and, and my colleagues that I really feel like right now we're in a season more of not work-life balance, but work-life blending. And I find that particularly true as I learn or work with adult learners globally. You know, I've got part of my team over in Europe and they, they start their day way before me. So by the time I get on, they're already, you know, trucking and moving and then my boss lives in san francisco so he starts three hours after me and i really truly could be on 24 hours a day and i've really had to adjust and fortunately i have this amazing guy who's like hey you know it's okay to to step away you know and and turn it off for a little bit but that guilt is real right like the guilt that we feel when we're not completely accessible is real and it was the same when I was in the classroom as it is today, as it will always be. And if it's not for this reason, it would be something else, right? How many times those with kids have felt like, oh, I'm not giving enough to my kids, or I'm not spending enough time with my spouse, or I haven't called my, my Mimi in three weeks, you know, like all of these things. And what I think it's, it's a reckoning. I think right now we're all having a reckoning for how we prioritize our lives to Melody's point. What are the things that we have to clear off the plate? that are not giving us nutrients. They're not sustaining us in any way. They're just there taking up space. And after a reckoning comes a renaissance, comes that rebirth, that re-envisioning of what's gonna happen moving forward. This cycle has repeated itself so much in history. And I think all of us right now, at least for me, I feel like the last, I'll call it one week because that's when my kids kind of were done quote, quote with school. <laughs> and we kind of got into a phase where we could kind of settle down a little bit. I feel a deep peace in my life that I've not felt in a really long time. And I know that I'm not doing everything for everyone right now. But That's because you shipped your kids that. off to Florida, Stephanie. Let's be you real here. What? You're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. It also could be just, you know, all these celebratory fireworks over here. But, but truly, I think I've gotten okay with people not feeling as if, there you go again, I've done everything for them, right? I'm okay if people feel like I've left a little bit for myself. And these guys just don't care. And, and I, before you, I, I just want to say everything that Stephanie says is legit. And that's exactly why the old content that we were constantly teaching has to be revisioned into something that's social, emotionally fitting. If we do not adjust that social, emotional piece, then we have lost it all and we haven't gained anything. You know, even, even in adult learning, we're, we're part, we're, we have a, a group right now at Chick-fil-A that's reimagining the way we even do our programs. You know, we, we, we've taken a lot of what we did and just, we took our, we we've taken our ILT and just put a V in front of it and made it a VILT, virtual ILT. And, um, you know, so we have a group right now really trying to reimagine what those programs now can look like. So pulling out some of the traditional stuff and rather than repackaging the traditional content and pushing it into Zoom, how do you take and use all those cool asynchronous tools along with the synchronous tools that we've been really using heavily lately and blending them together to make this awesome experience for the learner? And, um, but so anyway, yeah, good, good point. So Vincent, we have not forgot about you. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> Go ahead. 
You, it's I've got a lot, lot of random thoughts go through my head, but the, the main one is how do you replace the student to student learning element in this virtual situation? Where one student helps another student. So I'll, I'll take that from a, and I'll use a higher ed example. Um, so I'm also a part-time instructor and have developed some courses at KSU and something that we baked into our course as we designed it was um, not a discussion board, right? That like most inauthentic thing that could ever exist in the history of the internet. But what we've done is build in and bake in time in the course structure so that there is a provision for them to connect with somebody who's a peer learner in the course. And what they do during that time is just keep a reflection log and at the end of the semester, they, they submit that as their artifact. And that log could be different. It could be screenshots of text. It could be add me to your group me. It could be here's a Padlet wall where we've shared resources, lots of different things. Or just like, hey, we talked for 20 minutes on the phone. I don't care how it goes. I just want to make sure that you're connecting with somebody that you feel like you've got that connection with. And so at the beginning, you've got to create a community first so that people know who's there to choose from. But it's really simple. It takes the weight off of you as the facilitator or the instructor trying to force that clutch so the car gets down the road, right? And they have some autonomy, they have some agency over that process. Um, and I think the thing that we have underscored here, especially as a personalized learning advocate, I would be remiss to not say the executive function that's required for learning at any level, we've got to be super implicit about. Yeah, Melody, like you've got to teach those skills. Like we've got to get everybody back into a Montessori sort of mindset and really scaffold the way that everyone learns how to to have agency over their learning and that executive function. So those are just some ideas that have kind of a higher ed tilt, Vincent. I hope that that might be helpful. Yes, thank you. Christy, can you answer, would you have some tips on how you've been able to maintain that peer-to-peer -peer, um, using like Zoom, for example? How do you, how do you in, get kind of that, that interaction happening in the live sessions? Do you have any tips for Vincent? For the classes that I've taught so far, it's I've had to really look at how, because our curriculum, most of it has not been converted to virtual, all the principles that you should really implement when it goes from a traditional classroom to virtual. So I really have to look at what I'm trying to communicate, think about how can I connect this with my audience, how can I make it relevant how can I use the right question to make something come alive? So it has a lot to do with setting up the learning and really thinking about how can I make a connection with my audience, my participants, my learner, how can I make it meaningful for them and relevant? And really trying to engage them by asking them to unmic, asking them to respond through chat and Adult learning may be very different from, I don't think it will be very much different from high schoolers because let me tell you, I think middle schoolers, I teach Sunday school, I think middle schoolers and high schoolers love chat and they love to hear themselves. I mean, they love sharing if you make them feel comfortable. And I think that's one of the keys that I'm learning about virtual classroom is 
number one, you got to make your, your participants feel safe and like they belong. And you've got to find some little activity in the very beginning when the participants are just getting to know one another to help them find a way to bond and make a connection at least with one other person you know, to find something in common with that other individual. And I think there's so many, I mean, I've just scoured the internet with, for tons of icebreakers and energizers. And um, teachers are amazing. And teachers are, they are givers. They're going to share what works well. And they've already started sharing on the internet. So, it, and, and YouTube. So it's, and we've got, you know, really, um, we're beginning to get really good resources available. So that's what I would say, make it relevant, really strive for that connection, try to create the safest uh, environment so that people feel safe sharing their opinions, sharing when they don't understand something, share, you know, not feeling uncomfortable um, participating in learning. And Christy's done a really good job too of using the technology to try to emulate some of those peer-to-peer -peer moments through like the breakout rooms, Christy, you, 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 how, how is that the breakout rooms in Zoom? So Vincent, there's a feature in Zoom, I'm not sure you're aware of, you're aware of and in other platforms too, that allow you to have like these branch out sessions. Uh, you're still in the main Zoom session, but you have these other breakout rooms. So Christy's been able to use those in a lot of sessions. How's that been going, Christy? Actually, our feedback from our participants, again, I want to preface this by we do have adult learners, um, but it has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people love to, um, in the same way when you're in a classroom and you're doing group activities per table, that breakout room functionality allows you to be able to create that in the virtual world. And it's worked really, really well. I think though, when it comes to, um, I'll just keep it at middle school and high school. You've got to really set the expectations when you put them into a breakout room. Maybe you're team teaching and you're popping. You've got to constantly be popping in and out of those breakout rooms to check up. But I think one of the keys to virtual learning is also setting those clear expectations. When you, when you put someone, a group of individuals into a breakout room, you better have it mapped out exactly what your expectation is for that time of learning and let them know how they're going to present that content and do their teach back or however you're going to debrief that, that time, that time of learning. And so I think the clear expectations would be very, very important when you decide to do breakout rooms. But I think done, done right, once they get used to it, they're going to long for that because that's where they're going to have the opportunity to build that community. Awesome. Okay. I just wanted to add a resource here. The term that, you know, that safety term, um, Amy Edmondson is a researcher from Harvard that coined the term psychological safety. And when Google did a study of their internal teams and really trying to decide what made a really effective team and an ineffective team, they thought maybe is it because people knew each other, they're friends, they like the same things, do they work with the same habits? It turns out actually none of that was true. It was about the psychological safety that was built within the work teams at Google. And so I've dug into her research a little bit lately to, because I think that that's really, that's like a, a juicy burger of truth that we all got to take a bite out of right now. Um, and it doesn't happen on accident. You have to be super intentional to create those spaces and I hear you all the way with those middle school. I got a sixth grade girls group at church right now that will take every advantage of a breakout room if you are not right on them. So, <laughs> all right, hey David, we are at nine ten. We have now kind of after we've gone an hour really after introductions. 
and we could probably keep this conversation going all night. So um, I, I, how about we, it's probably time to probably bring this, uh, this plane and land it. <laughs> yeah, this. sounds good. Sounds good. This, this has been absolutely amazing. I think it was a, a great way to wrap it all up. We, I think we really hit the focus of, of every single conversation we've had for the last 10 weeks and giving people a lot to resonate on and reflect on as they look towards whatever the future might hold. Excellent. So, well, thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Vincent, we hope you answered that question for you. Um, and those of you online, thank you for joining us. And feel free to still ask questions or comments in the feed below. I mean, even though we're done recording this live, it still lives on. And we can still interact with it asynchronously. So feel free to ask those questions in the chat below. Give us all the thumbs up and feel free to share as well. Um, there are 10 sessions and they're recorded. Dave, how can they access those sessions on your site? You have a YouTube site set up? Yeah, they're on my YouTube site. And you know what? I'll throw out the links all summer long. What I'll probably do is once a week for the next 10 weeks, I'll just re recycle these out again. So if you want to get started on watching them all over again, just wait. Um, I'll probably start throwing those out uh, at the middle of June or so once the entire country is out of school. Perfect. Awesome. So thank you, Bethany, for man in the chat and the back channel on social media. And um, I will say just, you know, you if all these teachers that, that you guys are watching right now, you guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. And the world that's in front of you is incredible. I, I just, what an exciting time right now it is to be a classroom teacher. If you just embrace this, this idea of constantly learning, unlearning, and relearning, there's nothing that can stop you and get in the way of you as a teacher. So just continuously learn, unlearn, and relearn, because that is the world we now live in. So tap into Twitter, connect with those experts that are out there, get a LinkedIn profile set up, reach out to those authors like Melody and David, you know, who are, have written books and are experts in their field, reach out to them. They love hearing from their followers and they love to talk about their topics. So um, just develop that personal learning network and just start developing yourself for the summer and get ready for an amazing fall that's about to take place. Awesome. And that's it. That's a wrap, guys. <laughs>